is The Shake with Jane Mando. This wasn't the first time meeting Dr. Chaudhry. In fact, we have a mutual friend who connected us. Our previous meetings were more in a social setting and we did not know we had similar ideas about cannabis. So I talked to Jai about the possibility of him coming onto the podcast to highlight the medical industry's perspective and we both agreed. Immediately, I connected with Dr. Chaudhry and let him know we had an idea to spotlight and educate patients, recreational users, as well as our listeners about the solutions Canadian Cannabis Clinic is providing. Our aim was to better understand their mission, from patient care to education to research. We also wanted to shed light on their work with the veteran community and just how simple the application process was. On season two of The Shake, Jay and I have been eager to understand what excites the industry reps the most about the future of the cannabis industry. And of course, we had to ask Dr. Chaudhry. The cannabis industry, especially from the medical stream, is evolving and growing so quick. Uh, we are learning more and more as we go along. And the fact that we're in a space where we can learn more about cannabis now puts us in a better position to help people in a safe and effective manner. That's kind of what's really exciting for me, you know, just to kind of see the industry grow and see where we can go from there. Today, we have Dr. Chaudhry on to teach us about cannabis. As well, he will discuss his entrance into the cannabis industry, how he obtained a medical license, what his current role in the Canadian Cannabis Clinics is, and his emphasis on education for physicians as well as spreading awareness within the community. He'll walk us through the process for what patients can expect from getting a referral to booking an appointment, consultations and assessments, counseling and guidance, as well as follow-up visits. Welcome podcasters, this is Jai Morzaria. And I'm Mando of The Shake, brought to you by Trio Solution Content Media Platform, recording from lovely downtown Toronto, Canada. Stick around, because for the next 45 minutes, we'll be discussing cannabis with industry leaders and influencers. Today, we're speaking with independent physician and medical director of Canadian Cannabis Clinics, Dr. Chaudhry. We'll discuss Canadian Cannabis Clinics' goal to provide their patients with the highest level of care and improved quality of life through access and education on the therapeutic use of cannabis. Dr. Chaudhry, alongside their health practitioners, determine whether cannabis is a suitable option and their cannabis counselor will guide patients throughout the process. To date, they've helped over 68,000 Canadians with medical conditions, providing over 35 million better days for patients. Thanks for joining us on The Shake today, Dr. Chaudhry. Where are you joining us from? I'm currently in my residence in uh, beautiful Mississauga, Ontario. I wish the weather would be better. You know, pouring out here right now as of right now yeah it's the same for us down in toronto i completely agree this summer's been a bit of a muck um now let's just get the ball rolling uh would you be able to give us a brief history of your education and past careers i attended uh, mcmaster university i obtained my uh, bachelor of uh, life science honors degree then after that um i i went to medical school um, in the in the Caribbean, and uh, a school called Medical University of the Americas, uh, which is located in uh, Saint Kitts and Nevis. Um, after after medical school, I got accepted into a family medicine uh, residency program at the University of Buffalo. So I completed my residency uh, uh, three years there, and then after that, uh, after being American board certified in uh, family medicine, I did I decided to return to Canada and get board certified here. And then I started uh, working here as an independent uh, practicing uh, family medicine physician uh, here in uh, in Ontario, more more specifically in the Brampton and Mississauga area. Wonderful. Now, what made you pivot into the cannabis sector? Well, that's that's a very intriguing question and very fascinating. So, um, so during my time when I was kind of transitioning from 
um, the states uh, to here. Um, I had a lot of free time on my hands because, you know, the licensing, uh, uh, the licensing boards here like to take their time with uh, people kind of um, obtaining the medical license here, especially with the College of Physicians and Surgeons of Ontario. So during this time, I had a family friend of mine who was actually working uh, for Canadian cannabis clinics, and he was telling me, hey, we're looking for docs, you know, it's an interesting new space of medical cannabis. And the funny thing is I had no idea from, about medical cannabis, about like, how it kind of how it kind of work and how to go about it because they don't teach you that in med school they don't teach you that in residency um so it was something that was quite fascinating and intriguing to me and and uh, so my curiosity peaked i'm like okay i'll check it out so i shadowed some physicians there um i went to a few lecture series on some uh some leading physicians in the field and then i kind of started working I, I started working that i initially started with one or two days a week but then I got so interested and so into it, especially after seeing positive outcomes uh, with so many patients that I decided to take on a, a bigger role uh, in that field and ever since then, and that's how I'm here now. That's truly amazing. Uh, would you be able to tell our listeners how long you've been in this space and a bit more of your current role as a doctor within the medical cannabis industry? Okay, yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, so I've been practicing medical cannabis specifically uh, for about two and a half years now, uh, since uh, 2017. Um, um, essentially, my role is, currently my role is a medical director of a Canadian cannabis clinics. Um, majority of the time, I'm working in a clinical space, meaning that I'm uh, assessing and treating patients and uh, deeming whether uh, medical cannabis is an appropriate treatment uh, for, for their condition. Um, but I, the, the being medical director also entails some other roles. Um, a main thing is education, not only for physicians, but um, um, our staff members that uh, work with our clinics, um, and not only with our physicians, but also in the community as well. So I take a, I take a huge role in terms of medical education, um, um, not only with our physicians, but also physicians in the community who want to learn more about medical cannabis. That's truly excellent. Um, can you give us a high-level summary of Canadian cannabis clinics and what the company's uh, main okay. mission and or focus is? Okay, so I, I would say I guess our mission statement essentially at Canadian Cannabis Clinics is that our main goal is to provide our patients with the highest level of care and uh, and to improve quality of life through education and uh, treatment through uh, medical cannabis when appropriate. Um, our we have about thirty-two clinics all across Canada. Most of them are Ontario, but we're also in British Columbia, Manitoba. Um, as well as Alberta. Um, we have helped over 65,000 Canadians with various me medical conditions, and we have provided over 31 million better days for patients. And I know this may be a little bit biased, but I truly believe that we're definitely the leader in, in providing medical cannabis, uh, medical cannabis treatment in this country. That's great. And what led you to partner with them? Um, so like I was mentioning before, my family, my family friend kind of introduced me to this, and then um, I actually had a conversation with the said medical director at the time. His name was Dr. Barry Weisscott, and um, he kind of taught me everything, kind of showed me the ropes of how it, how, how it goes. And um, ever since day one, I've kind of been really intrigued by it and uh, really fascinated, and I, I became very enthusiastic in learning this new space because I feel like in medicine, it's very, very seldom you get a chance to kind of um, join something on the come up, you know, from the from a grassroots, groundbreaking uh, uh, type of space, and you know, who, who wouldn't want to be part of something uh, something that that is continuing to grow, uh, and and can we don't even know what the what the apex can be at this point. It's just continuing to grow as uh, time goes by. Now, Dr. Chaudhry, uh, you just mentioned education as something that is uh, very crucial and important to you. 
Now, Mando and I are both under the impression in order for general society to overcome the stigma surrounding cannabis, it's by creating some type of awareness through education, which is what we're trying to do on The Shake. Do you believe in this as well? And can you talk a bit more about what you're doing at the Canadian Cannabis Clinic to tackle things like cannophobia? Okay, so I, so, um, I think um, there's education on many levels, okay? First of all, in the medical community, okay? So there's still kind of stigmatized, you know, we're not really, <laughs> medical cannabis hasn't really fully been opened with open arms by Canadian Medical Association, Ontario Medical Association, um, um, as well as uh, the College of Family Physicians Canada. Um, and I think, uh, I think the main barrier uh, really with this is that um, in medicines particularly, we really, we really go a lot based off of medical evidence right, through research studies. And I think the big barrier is uh, when it comes to these comes to research studies is that usually they're kind of uh, these research studies are usually um, budgeted um, by big pharma. And the thing is, um, big pharma uh, essentially can't own patents on cannabis. Okay, so that's impossible for them to do. So because of that, we don't really have big, large-scale, double-blind studies where we can show people like, hey, you know what? This is the huge evidence that we have that's undeniable. So right now we're kind of working uh, from behind. Um, you have to understand, like in many countries, especially the U.S., uh, cannabis is still a Schedule One drug, uh, meaning that cannabis is very restricted, even for uh, for various uh, research studies. Um, there's also research biases where um, a lot of the literature that's out there tries to uh, demonstrate, uh, like their main goal of the outcome is to see if cannabis has a negative outcome, um, and they don't really try to look for the positive outcome. Um, another another thing that we deal with is uh, selection bias, where many of the harms reported in the studies are conducted on recreational users and not medicinal users. So we're we're looking at the wrong population to begin with. Um, and then another thing is uh, confirmation bias, uh, meaning that uh, many have been told that cannabis is a drug and not a medicine, and then have a hard time reevaluating evidence through an unbiased lens, through an unbiased uh, uh, focus. Um, so I think that's that's one thing. So I think the main thing is trying to educate um, our physicians on the benefits of cannabis. And I think um, the, the thing is that we don't really have those large studies to type, try, uh, try to support this. But I think you got to look at it from a broader view. Okay, evidence is obviously definitely important, and we got to still focus on the evidence. But we also have to uh, focus on um, you know harm reduction. Okay. Um, assessing each and every patient differently and see if cannabis is a viable option for them. I, I, I strongly believe in that. I'm not going to sit here and say that cannabis is for everybody, but it can help a, a certain population, uh, a certain population out there with whatever ailment that they're dealing with, um, if it is appropriate. Um, another thing in, in, in general is that we also have to see about improving quality of life. Okay, I think that's the main thing. Um, well, when, when any physician or any clinician sees a patient, one of the main goals is usually improving quality of life. So if we can use cannabis as another clinical tool in the clinical toolbox, um, I'm not saying that cannabis should ever be the end-all, be-all, but it should be used as an adjunct um, therapy, meaning um, you know a supportive therapy in the overall uh, clinical picture. Uh, I think that's also very important. Okay, um, So that's more like on the physician side and in the medical community side. Um, I think a second part that we should uh, be focusing on is educating the community, okay? So obviously there's a big stigma when it comes to medical cannabis because you know, we've always known as cannabis as a, a recreational drug. So we've always seen like, you know, like obviously in the media and in uh, uh, and so forth that cannabis has been used more for a recreational substance. And you know, cannabis does have its space in the recreational realm, but I think it's 
more about trying to educate and learn more about how cannabis can be used uh, medically and responsibly. Thank you, Dr. Chaudhry. Now, you mentioned assessments of patients. Uh, would you be able to talk a bit more about the process of becoming a patient via the Canadian Cannabis Clinics platform? Okay, yeah, well, definitely, definitely. That's an excellent question. Um, so I feel like, um, so let's, let's just paint like a picture. So let's say, you know, like your mother or your father, you know, they've been dealing with joint pain for years. You know, um, let's say arthritis, for example, osteoarthritis, one of the most common uh, common degenerative conditions out there. Um, so let's just say, you know, they've been dealing with joint pain, you know, um, they've tried like, you know, anti-inflammatories, they've tried physical therapy, um, even some of them had surgery and had joint replacements, and they've also tried other pain medications, even narcotics, for instance. Um, and so they're just looking for another option to help treat their pain um, and to improve their functionality and to improve their quality of life. So usually they'll go to their doctor and be like, hey, you know what, all these pills you've given me, all this therapy you've given me hasn't been doing it for me. I want to try something else. So usually the physician will be like, hey, do you want to try cannabis? You know, I've had some of my patients that have done well on it. I can refer you to a specialist or to somebody who knows more about it so they can teach you about it and they can see whether you're appropriate for it. Or sometimes most patients come in and be like, hey, you know what, Uh, my friend of mine tried this CBD oil and now, you know, uh, before they couldn't leave the house and now... Now they're active, they're going to the gym, and they're enjoying their life. I want to be like that, too. So usually how the process will go is that uh, a physician can write a referral. And in some instances, if the physician refuses to write a referral, they can also go through a process called a self-referral. Essentially, they can go to our, our website at, um, at, uh, at cannabisclinics.ca, and they can um, download a referral form, and they can fill it out and send it to our clinic. So that's usually the first step, that we have to get a referral or somebody goes through a process called a self-referral. Um, and then after that, um, our intake team uh, will contact the patient, uh, or contact the patient, or contact the patient's uh, uh, family doctor's office, and we'll receive all their medical records and supporting documents that usually include, like you know, imaging, like X-rays, CT scans, ultrasounds, um, physician notes, specialist notes, um, medication lists. So, so when we do see the patient, we have all the information available to us, whether we can decide whether you know what. Um, is this is, is medical cannabis appropriate for them and have they tried everything and anything before coming to us? I think it's really important that uh, we should emphasize that cannabis should never really, really be used as a first-line option for many things. In some certain cases, it may be, but for the most part, we kind of consider it more like a second, third-line, or fourth-line option or sometimes even a better way to extend it more like a last resort more than anything. Um, so then after that, you know, we'll have an appointment and then one of our uh, one of our physicians will assess the patient and then we'll go through the whole process of uh, interviewing the patient, uh, conducting a physical exam, and, uh, what, and then after that, after talking to the patient, determining uh, whether they're an appropriate candidate for medical cannabis or not, and then after that, kind of educating them and starting them on treatment uh, kind of goes along with that. Thank you for the overview there, Dr. Chaudhry. We want to know what separates Canadian Cannabis Clinic's platform from the others trying to tackle the same issues. Okay, I think the number one thing that uh, separates us from everybody is our experience. Okay, we've been around for quite a while now, and I think we kind of have the uh, have a format down um, that a lot of clinics have also tried to copy. Um, but um, but I think what what separates us is that you know what when you see us, we're there to help you help guide you through the new space known as medical cannabis. Okay, as you, I'm not sure if you guys know, but medical cannabis prescriptions are a lot different than a regular medical prescription. Let's say, for instance, you know, a blood pressure medication that I would prescribe to somebody with high blood pressure. Essentially, on the prescription, let's say this is the medication's name. Um, this is how you take it. 
so how many times you take it, this is the dose, and this is for how long you're gonna be on it. Medical cannabis prescriptions are a little bit different. Essentially, a medical cannabis prescription gives you, the only thing that we really write on it is the amount per day, how many grams per day, um, at the time, and, and the time, okay, the duration of the prescription. We also write a THC restriction, but most, uh, but some licensed producers either follow that or don't follow that. Um, the licensed producers aren't necessarily by law have to follow these, uh, these, um, um, the THC restriction, which is kind of frustrating sometimes uh, from a from a clinician standpoint. But essentially, what happens is this prescription is then sent to whichever licensed producer um, the um, the patient wants to register with, and essentially gives them access. So it's it's pretty much providing uh, uh, pr providing keys to a store. Um, that has all these products available, and then based off the parameters of the prescription, they can um, they can order order whatever they want to. But the thing is, in that situation, um, it's very overwhelming, especially for somebody who's been cannabis naive, meaning that they've never tried cannabis before. Imagine um, you know giving somebody a prescription and saying, "Hey, go online and uh, pick whatever you want." Right? That would be definitely <laughs> that would definitely be <laughs> difficult to do for for some. So what we do is provide education and how to. Um, how, how, how to guide guide one through that process. Um, and the way that we do it is not only through our physicians, but we do have counselors called cannabis educators. And their specific role is to pretty much educate about cannabis, not so much um, pretty much on different types of strains, CBD versus THC, sativa versus indica, but also uh, various methods of intake, whether it's um, ingestion methods like oils, capsules. Now we got topicals that are coming through. There's a lot of sprays. And um, also, um, we never recommend any of our patients to smoke cannabis because of uh, the risks involved with that, the health risks such as lung disease and so forth, but also how to navigate through using a vaporizer. There may be some patients out there that, you know, they may not be able to tolerate the liquids or, 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 or the oils or the capsules for said reason, and they may have to inhale using a vaporizer in certain situations, um, in certain circumstances, and we guide them through that. So I think what separates us from most uh, people prescribing cannabis is that we don't leave our patients in the dark. We don't we don't send them we don't write them a prescription and then and then and then let them figure it out on their own. We are there um, um, from the from the start of the process to the end of the process in terms of providing guidance uh, for our patients so they're comfortable and um, they're well aware on how to use this uh, appropriately and responsibly. Phew, got those taxes done just in time. I don't know about you, but I can feel rushed with the day to day, and when it comes to doing my taxes or when that time of year rolls by, it can easily get lost in the shuffle or rushed. Luckily, I can rely on Instatax for all my tax needs. And all it took Instatax was 30 minutes. Think about it, that's quicker than a pizza. Instatax also helped realign my business accounting needs from payroll, bookkeeping, monthly financials, and year ends, just to start. It really gives me peace of mind knowing I have the right team at Instatax in my corner for all my accounting needs. If you find yourself in a situation or just want the right team to guide you with your accounting needs, visit Instatax at www.insta-tax.ca or contact Instatax at 905-737-5811. Once again, that's 905-737-5811. Or come visit them at Suite 215 at Hillcrest Mall in Ridgemont Hill, serving from the same location for over 27 years. And when you do contact Instatax, remember to mention the Shake for a 5% discount on your personal income taxes. Now, we've talked about the process from the Canadian Cannabis Clinics platform. Can you walk us through the process through obtaining a medical cannabis license through a physician? Okay, so um, every, any physician usually has the capability, just like prescribing like any other regular medication. Usually, um, the way they go is they got to provide a medical document. Um, it's, uh, 
Um, it's called Access of Cannabis uh, for Medical Purposes Regulation, called ACMPR. So each and every different licensed producer will have like kind of their template, um, which represents that medical document. And essentially just kind of like what I mentioned before, um, usually just patient information, indication for the cannabis, um, and kind of like the, the amount, um, uh, THC restriction, and uh, the duration of the prescription. And that's usually kind of how they go about it. And then it's usually sent to a licensed producer. So let's say somebody like Canopy Growth or like, you know, Aurora, that you guys are quite quite aware of, and then they essentially um, the the medical document gets sent there. It usually takes a few days uh, for it to get registered, uh, and then somebody usually from the uh, from the licensed producer contacts the patient, and then they're able to go online or over the phone to order whatever uh, product they want. Awesome. Uh, now, Doctor Chaudhry, uh, and for listeners that may not know uh, of the shake, uh, I've suffered from Crohn's disease for the last eighteen years. I remember distinctly being diagnosed. Uh, it is an inflammatory disease, and something that you mentioned earlier really struck a chord. Uh, something that you said, which is, is medical cannabis appropriate for me, and was I the right candidate for that solution? And it was something that not only I faced, but something my family faced as well. Uh, so for new patients that have gone through the traditional means of medication, introducing another route can often cause reluctance and skepticism, especially with cannabis. Generally, how do you find new patients and their families respond to this medicinal solution? Excellent point. Excellent point. And I can imagine what you've been through, right? Um, yeah, as we know, Crohn's is a, uh, you know, it's an inflammatory bowel disease. Okay. And you know what? It can affect your quality of life. Um, you know, just like with any chronic condition. And I think sometimes, um, I, I do deal with, like usually when patients come see me, it's not usually just the patient, sometimes their whole family is there um, because you know there's a lot of questions, right? There's a lot of questions, a lot of concerns about starting something that they don't really have too much education on, right? A lot of people, just like we were talking about before, they still consider this as a street drug. So I, the important part, just like we were emphasizing before, is the education. And I think the best way to kind of convey the point that this is a medication is um, letting the patient just describe their, their life and what they've gone through on this, uh, or dealing with this uh, condition. A lot of people have, you know, have had significant reductions in quality of life. And I think sometimes, um, sometimes just letting the patient kind of explain that, not only to me, but even explaining that to their family members, sometimes strikes, strikes a chord. And I think what my job is, after letting them kind of explain what they've gone through, is kind of um, reassure them that this is a safe space that they can approach and a, and, a, and, a, and, a, and a safe option. Like nothing is 100% safe in life. No medication is 100% safe. All medications have adverse effects and cannabis is no different. But I think our main goal is to educate and kind of explain that, hey, you know what, you tried A, B, C, and D. You know, right now, this is E and F. We can try E and F. And if it doesn't work, then we'll try something else. But I think it's still worth trying for it, especially if you want to improve your quality of life. So that makes a lot of sense. Now, while you're educating different patients and you know asking them to take different alternative routes that may help their their ailment, how do you determine what an appropriate dosage is for them? Yeah, that's a really good question, and I think um, I think that's a lot. That's a common question that a lot of people ask because you know how you're asking me before about um, what separates our clinic from other clinics. Some physicians they don't even know dosing; they just write gram per day and they think that's the dosing but that's not necessarily true as you know there's different methods right if somebody's inhaling right how many puffs should one take if somebody's using an oil how many milliliters should they should they drink if somebody's using a spray how much spray should they take so i think that's what separates our clinic from other clinics because we have physicians and counselors and cannabis educators who 
who who are very um, who have a lot of a, a ton of experience in how, in how to deal with this. I think the most co- I think the, the thing with cannabis is that it's not like a, any regular medication. Everybody reacts to it differently, and your dose of cannabis may be different than somebody else's dose of cannabis. Okay, a lot of factors come into play. Have you been using cannabis your whole life, or are you totally cannabis naive? Are we using CBD? Are we using THC? Do we have to use a combination of that? But I think a, a, the mantra that a lot of people who prescribe cannabis in general, I'm sure you probably heard this before too, is that you go low and you go slow, okay? So whatever new cannabis product you're trying, whether it's CBD or THC, our goal is to find the most lowest effective dose, not only uh, for the patient's safety, but as you know, medical cannabis doesn't come cheap, right? So we don't want people um, you know, emptying out their pockets just to slightly improve their quality of life or greatly improve their quality of life because if they're wasting all their finances on their medication, it's hard for them to enjoy life even um, um, from a financial aspect. So I think not only financially, but also uh, from a, a medical safety point of view, it's very important that we try to find the lowest and most effective dose. So depending on what the product is, we usually guide outline a dosing strategy, depending whether they're, they're, they're inhaling or they're ingesting using oils or using a spray, using capsules, or sometimes patients like to make their own edibles. But sometimes I like to stray away from that because it could be too unpredictable. Um, but I think with these other methods, you know, um, given that there's an actual um, dosing measurement uh, that we can use, um, we can definitely cater a dosing strategy to each and every patient as needed. Great point, Dr. Chaudhary. Thank you for sharing that with us. Um, yeah, so from your experience, is there a message you can share for patients attempting to go down this path and why it is beneficial for them? Yeah, so I think it's something that you got to be open to, okay? Um, open to trying because if you're not open to it, then you may, you may find the first reason to quit right away. But I think the most important question is you have to say, is this for me, okay? I would not want any patient who's not comfortable taking this. If you're not comfortable with this, then it's probably not going to work. Your mind probably won't allow it to work. So I think the number one thing is be open to this. And I think, um, and then, and once you're open to it, let's educate you on this, okay? Um, cannabis, I think what people need to realize about cannabis and what people don't realize is, uh, I'm sure you guys know that there's different strains, there's a million different strains out there with a million different components, whether it's CBD, THC, some of these minor cannabinoids, such as uh, THCV, CBG, CBN, and also the amount of terpenes that are out there. So I think what people need to realize is that cannabis isn't just one medication, okay? It's not one medication, one type of medication, or one class of medication. It really does have the capability to have 25, 50, 100, 500 different types of medications out there within that cannabis plant because there's so many different combinations of strains and subtypes and terpenes and and cannabinoids so that I think what you need to realize is that it's a very vast and open space that we're in. And I think what, what, what's really important is about educating these patients, um, um, talking about their illness, and finding a way to narrow in that space to find something that's right for, for the patient. Awesome. Now, quickly, just because you mentioned uh, CBD and THC, which cannabinoid do you often uh, most prescribe? So I think it all depends on the patient, right? It's a very uh, patient-centric question. Um, all For a lot of my cannabis-naive patients, we usually start with CBD. Um, you know, especially, I have a, the, the funny thing is, you think like, I have a lot of young patients who just want to get I come to me. You know, my typical patient is like anywhere from an elderly patient, usually from 60s up, uh, who's never tried.
tried cannabis before and they want to try something to help with their chronic conditions. That's usually my typical patient. So for these patients who've never used cannabis before, I think not only from an effectiveness standpoint, but also from a safety standpoint, we want to give something that's not psychoactive, meaning doesn't get them high. So we usually start with CBD, try to start low and then kind of increase the doses needed. But sometimes that may not be good enough for everybody. And if that's the case, then we then recommend a CBD-THC combination, a hybrid or a balanced strain. Studies do show that when it does come to pain control mostly, that CBD-THC combinations do work better than CBD. But the thing is, anything with THC in it always opens up the chance for more side effects. So that's something we got to be aware of, okay? So that's more for the cannabis-naive patient. But then for somebody who's well-experienced with cannabis, um, it's kind of unreasonable to say, hey, you should only take CBD, THC is not good for you. They're going to need some THC as well as CBD. And those patients, because they build up a tolerance over some years, may need higher levels of THC for them to function. Um, so I think I think um, so I think the majority of my patients are cannabis naive. So I usually do start with CBD, but um, you know it all depends on the patient and their level of experience with cannabis and what may work and what may not work. And I think another thing is it's not so much just keeping it that in that general scope. A lot of conditions may require THC versus CBD. Like THC does have a, a better um, anti-emetic effect, meaning an anti-nausea and vomiting effect. And especially I do deal with a lot of uh, cancer patients undergoing chemotherapy. And as you know, one of the main side effects is nausea and vomiting. And sometimes CBD may not be good enough for that. And they may need a combination of CBD and THC just to get through their treatments. Hey Jai, have you been to one of those pain parties? You know. The ones where you sit around drinking wine and paint a scenic picture placed in front of you? I went once, and from that day I knew I was lacking some creative bones. So luckily, when it came to how I wanted my business to look from my imagination, I have Rukimu Productions for all my creative thoughts to come alive. Rukimu Productions really helped my business with graphic design, to logo, and branding. I can probably tell you that Rukimu Productions is a one-stop shop that works with you to create your vision for the world to see. Visit rukimu.pb.online for more information and contacts. That's R-U-K-I-M-O dot P-B dot online. Rukimu dot P-B dot online. Thanks, Dr. Chaudhry. Um, can you share with our listeners some facts about CBD receptors, what they are, why they are important, and how do they work with their body? So I think um, the best way to explain this is that um, our body has something called an endocannabinoid system, right? Endo meaning within, and cannabinoids is usually dealing with like a broad term dealing with uh, uh, with, with cannabis. Our body itself actually makes our, uh, makes cannabis molecules, okay? Um, it's responsible for regulating many bodily functions, immune function, sleep, pain perception, appetite, bone development, memory, cardiovascular function, digestion, and more. Um, when people run and feel euphoric, part of this is, is the body making cannabinoid molecules, you know, so just, to give you, uh, just to give you an example, right? Um, and the cannabis plant actually binds to receptors, uh, these receptors in our body. Um, there's two different types of cannabinoid receptors in our body, CB1 and CB2. Uh, CB1 is more located in the brain, okay? So usually anywhere from our cerebral cortex to our amygdala, hypothalamus, so it uh, kind of deals with a lot of... Um, a lot of brain function and our perception of not only pain but also um, neurotransmitters that are involved uh, that are involved with regulating our mood and that's why we do consider cannabis for some people with dealing with various mental health issues um, so that's usually in the brain and another important part um, to know about CB1 receptors compared to other medications um, that are that people may use for pain or maybe people may use for mood is that um, 
CB1 is not located in the brainstem. And I think that's an important point to, um, to make because, um, especially as you know, um, we do have a big epidemic, not only here in Canada, but in, you know, over the world as well, especially in the United States where I practice. Um, I was really exposed to the opioid epidemic uh, hands-on um, from starting from the start of my training even to now. Um, and, and the thing about opioids is, is that um, when people are in a lot of pain or they become uh, dependent, um, they take excess opioids. And what opioids do is it affects our, our brainstem. And the brainstem, one of the brainstem's main function is controlling our breathing from our brain. And that's how people overdose and that's how people die because they stop breathing. So one of the be- main benefits of cannabis is that that can never happen. Okay, there hasn't been a documented death from a cannabis overdose because it's impossible to happen because cannabis will not make you stop breathing. Okay, and I think that's an important note uh, to think about that when we're looking at alternative uh, medications, um, especially when it comes to harm reduction to a lot of people who have been dependent on opioids for so long. I'm sure you've seen it in the news about opioid-related deaths that keep on rising and rising because of the big uh, opioid epidemic we have. So that's more CB1 receptors. Um, CB2 receptors kind of work with our immune system. So they usually deal with our immune organs, kind of like our lymph nodes, thymus, spleen, the appendix, tonsils, adenoids, our bone marrow. And um, just like you were mentioning before about your Crohn's disease, right? Why CBD, um, particularly as well as THC, um, they have anti-inflammatory effects because they can affect um, these receptors that are that facilitate our immunological function. They do facilitate a lot of immune function uh, in our body uh, not only that, but um, the uh, cannabis itself has, does have a lot of anti-inflammatory uh, properties, as you know, um, dealing with uh, Crohn's disease. Um, you know, it can kind of help with the overall inflammation and not only associated with diseases like Crohn's and ulcerative colitis, but osteoarthritis, rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, and various other conditions. So essentially, uh, we have this system called the endocannabinoid system that we're still learning a lot about. Um, it's not really taught in medical school. So this kind of brings back to the point that I was mentioning earlier that this is the new space that we're kind of breaking into and, and learning a lot about it as we go along. Very interesting stuff there. Um, we want to know what you thought was the most effective delivery format for cannabinoids when treating inflammatory diseases. Would it be edibles, oils, vaping, topicals, or capsules, in your opinion? Uh, I, 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 uh, I think the, the long answer is everybody's different, but I think the short answer is that um, I think when it comes to vaping, uh, I think the one thing we got to look at is that we don't have studies to show us what vaping will do um, like 20, 30 years down the road. So we don't really want to jump to vaping uh, r- uh, right away just because we still don't know a lot about it. But we know theoretically, you know, we're not really taking any of those carcinogens in um, because we're not heating up the plant at such a high temperature that it kind of produces smoke. But we still don't know what vaping can do to us. So I feel like the best method is usually like an injectable method. Usually oils or capsules are probably, um, you know, the more more safer options but you know what everybody some people you know they may have um they have like chronic uh gastrointestinal disorders which don't let them absorb it um especially people with like crohn's ulcerative colitis or or people with like stomach cancer where they've had to have stomach cancer or colon cancer where they've had to have a lot of surgeries and the absorption uh may be impaired so maybe for them oils and capsules may not be an option because it may not get uh it, it, it um, may not get absorbed properly. May not be as effective. So I think um, I think um, it's usually very patient dependent. But usually uh, for, for for a regular patient without any without many many contraindications, I would probably recommend more the oils and the capsules to start off with. But then the thing is, vaping can be very useful, especially with migraines. Okay, with, with episodic migraines. 
Um, the oils and capsules can help hold you down because, as you know, when you swallow something, it's got to go through your digestive system, so it does take time to kick in, and it, it does last longer. But sometimes when you feel like a migraine coming on, you may need something to work right away, and that's where vaping can really come into play and help with that, especially people with chronic migraines. They know their migraines better than anybody, and they know when a migraine is coming on. So usually if you inhale using a, a vaporizer um, right before something like a migraine, it can help immensely uh, with uh, help preventing it and treating it. Yeah, I guess it varies uh, for different people and what they would prefer or what helps the most for them. Now, you talked about your work with um, seniors and veterans. Um, have you noticed an uptake of vets reaching out to you and to deal with their ailments uh, since the legalization of recreational oh, cannabis? Definitely, definitely. Not only um, not only uh, with their chronic uh, pain conditions, especially older they get, the more degenerative conditions they have, such as arthritis, um, and also the type of... Uh, type of um, uh, the type of work they've done, you know, is very labor intensive, right? So they, a lot of them do have chronic back problems, uh, lumbar disc herniations, stuff like that. But a lot of them do deal with PTSD, um, and and it has been proven that cannabis can help with that, especially with dealing with the night terrors that they deal with. Some of these patients not only sometimes benefit from CBD, but especially dealing with their with their night terrors and their flashbacks. Um, uh, THC can definitely help with that, um, especially uh, when it when it comes to aiding with their sleep. What would you a say? A lot of them do have sleeping issues, and sometimes you know that snowballs into more and more uh, mental health issues if you don't get a proper night's sleep. What would you say to a vet that uh, suffers from PTSD that is curious about medicinal cannabis? Um, I still think when it comes to mental health disorders, it's a little bit tricky when it comes to cannabis. Um, I personally don't believe that cannabis should be used as a first first option uh, when it comes to uh, a lot of mental health disorders, um, because um, as we know right now. We do know that, um, especially when it comes to uh, uh, PTSD, but the main thing is uh, schizophrenia, um, or psych- psychotic disorders. We do know that you know, well, there is some st- studies coming out that CBD may be uh, beneficial for psychosis. But the thing is, I think another problem is it's a, it's a system issue as well. Like, like I was mentioning before, you know, I can give somebody and I can write, um, you know, maybe like 1% THC uh, restriction or no THC restriction. But like I said, some um, some some licensed producers may uh, may not follow that uh, guideline because you have to understand a lot of these licensed producers are still business. Okay, so um, they'll, they'll try. They'll be like, "Oh, we don't have this CBD that's out. Um, you know, we ran out. Um, why don't you try this THC oil?" And sometimes with those patients, it can make their symptoms worse. I think when it comes to a lot of anxiety, depression, and mood disorders in general, cannabis can be beneficial. But I think what we need to be more aware of is the amount of THC they're getting because low to moderate th- levels of THC can be beneficial. Once we go above that, it can induce more anxiety. It can induce psychosis. And a lot of people with PTSD, sometimes they do deal with some psychotic symptoms in terms of uh, auditory hallucinations and paranoia and stuff like that. So that's the thing is, like, I would prefer when it comes to mental health disorders, at least try the medications that we know that have been proven to work, such as SSRIs and SNRIs and also uh, non-pharmacological treatments, such as uh, counseling and psychotherapy and cognitive behavior therapy. I think when it comes to especially just not only with just treating um, medical cannabis for, for all types of conditions in general, but it's specifically with mental health, I think that cannabis should be used more as an adjunct, meaning a clinical tool in the clinical toolbox, but it shouldn't be used as the end-all, be-all, especially when dealing with mental health disorders. Fantastic, Dr. Chaudhary. Now, you said something earlier uh, that was really important to me, and it was be open to cannabis. I think it's a message that resonates with myself quite a bit, and I've been trying uh, quite actively to advocate Now, we know traditionally with the side effects of recreational cannabis, they include munchies, exhaustion, and euphoria. 
But for most people, they're not aware of what type of effects they would experience from medicinal cannabis. Would you be able to touch a little bit more about that and, and highlight what a patient could uh, go through during this process? Yeah, yeah. So I guess in side effects in general, I think what you, hit, uh, what, what you said was, uh, was right about, you know, the munchies, the euphoria, the drowsiness. Um, just like we were talking about before, there's many different components of cannabis, and that's usually due to uh, high levels of THC. But I think when we talk about cannabis in general, um, there, there, can, there can be a wide variety of adverse effects, and that can include um, dizziness, confusion, uh, slowing down reaction time, motor movements, ability to think. Um, you know, cough, sore throat, dry mouth. Um, it can also uh, make your heart race. It can uh, it can increase cardiac workload. So that's something to be aware of. Um, the anxiety and paranoia that I was talking about earlier. Um, and it can also, uh, even though sometimes, I think another thing that we got to be worried about, um, that a new condition that's actually kind of on, on the come up a little bit is cannabis hyperemesis syndrome, where people who've been using heavy amounts of THC over years um, are constantly nausea and vomiting, and it's it's kind of funny because these heavy cannabis users are the type of people that will tell you, you know what, um, the cannabis is, um, you know, that's what's controlling my nausea and vomiting, but in many cases can actually be uh, contributing to it as well. So these are kind of a, a wide variety of uh, of side effects that can still happen, and it's just like any medi- any other medi- medication, you know, um, there is a, a potential for for many side effects. We understand you've worked with various LPs within the cannabis industry. Can you discuss this a bit more for our audience? Yeah, so um, I've worked with some of the LPs. Um, I've worked with one particularly as kind of like a reach, uh, um, part of an advisory board. So that's a, is a, it's kind of a fancy term for just like a regional consultant. So kind of the leading cannabis physicians in this area, uh, they kind of meet with the LPs, you know, they have a set up meeting and every doctor gets to essentially just talk about their experience with cannabis and what the licensed producers can do better in terms of just um, providing medical cannabis and education um, to their patients. Um, I think um, I think cannabis is a little bit different space because the patient and the and the, and the licensed producers they interact significantly with each other. So I think it's really important that there shouldn't be any um, uh, barriers and potholes between the communication between physician. Um, patient and licensed producer because everybody's got to be on the same page and I think that's kind of one of the most important things kind of like what I was mentioning before I think it's very I think I think because it is a new space and we're kind of learning as we go along nothing's going to be perfect and nothing's going to be a smooth ride but I think with time and more communication um, I think this will get better just like I was mentioning before about the situation where you know if I see an 80 year old and I don't want them to have uh, THC but for some reason you know some of these licensed producers, they'll still push their THC product because, as you know, with a lot of these licensed producers, supply is a big issue because the demand is high out there, not only for the recreational, but for the, for the medical. And you have to understand that these licensed producers, they provide both. They, they, they supply recreational and medical. So I think that's, you know, that's, that's something to be aware of uh, when dealing with these licensed producers, that you have to ensure that when picking out the licensed producer, do they really have your best interest in mind? Are they really caring about your um, medical illness or are they just caring that you're gonna buy whatever cannabis product they have available? So I think where these regional consultancy meetings come and these advisory uh, board meetings come is that we advocate for the patient. And not only that, we are the ones who are on the front line of dealing with medical cannabis, dealing with our patients and seeing the problems and the struggles that they go through, right? Um, another thing is cost, right? We don't really have, like, you know, there's. 
that's all set. That's all set by the licensed producers, and that's fair enough. But who knows? We, we got to find out other ways, whether it's compassionate pricing, discount pricing for for a certain amount of patients, or even some private drug plans are starting to cover it. WSIB, um, Veterans Affairs Canada, covering it for some patients for for some of the vets. And then also, if there needs to be uh, some sort of drug benefit plan, like there is with other medications, um, it's kind of it's kind of crazy that for under some drug plans. You may get heavy dose narcotics covered, but you may not get cannabis covered. And I think a lot of that has to do with kind of the research and medical cannabis being fairly new, and a lot of the evidence is still kind of you know developing. Um, so I do understand that, but I think kind of the hurdles that that everybody kind of deals with when you're entering a new space and uh, and moving along the same space uh, that that's very new to everybody involved. So I've dealt with that, and then um, other things that I've done with LPs is kind of just. Um, and like educational lectures uh, for physicians in the community um, that have been facilitated by some uh, licensed producers. So I've also done that type of work as well. And you touched about some barriers that the medical industry is facing. Can you um, talk about the barriers patients face today regarding medical cannabis? Yeah, and I think one of the main things is price. Um, yeah, price is a big issue. Uh, you know, it doesn't come cheap. And uh, and the thing is, um, and the thing is, sometimes you know, medical cannabis may not be for everybody. Um, and even if it is, like sometimes it may only provide. Uh, uh, um, like you know, uh, um, not a, maybe like a small benefit, like maybe almost equal to using an Advil. So imagine using like an Advil or Tylenol and having to spend like three hundred dollars a month on it, right? So, um, so that's I think that's one of the big barriers. Um, the stigma, not only from their barriers, but also in the positions that they deal with. So I feel like education uh, is is a is a big um, a big component as well, kind of educating not only the patients and patients' families, but also physicians in the community. Um, it's kind of funny because like every type of like um, subspecialty of medicine kind of has like their own kind of association. Like you know, there's chronic pain society. You know, there's like uh, associations for cardiologists. You know, um, we have we have the CFPC, which is like a family physician uh, uh, family physician uh, a group. So we don't really have that for medical cannabis yet because there's not there are more and more physicians coming out of it. But we don't really have our own group to kind of advocate for ourselves and for our patients and for medical cannabis in general. So I think. Um, that's also a, a big hurdle as well. Can you tell our listeners what has surprised you the most about the legalization of medicinal and recreational consumption and of cannabis? You know what? Um, I think when medical cannabis became legal, I wasn't too sure if still people would want to go down the medical stream or not. I thought maybe, you know what, it's available to everybody. They may treat it like getting an agile or over the counter. I thought people may have treated it like that, but I think with with legalization, what's happened is, I mean, this also happened in, in, in the states as well, such as uh, Colorado and Washington and Nevada, when, when they first became legal recreationally, is that the amount of medical prescriptions did go up. So I think what happened was, with it being um, um, legal recreationally, I think it became more open um, as to something that can be used uh, for, for, for not only recreationally, but medically. And I think because of that, a lot of people dealing with various medical conditions I think the question started rising, hey, is this for me? I think it's okay for me to use. I don't think this is just a street drug anymore. I think I can use this uh, for my condition. And I think that interest has peaked in, in many patients and many different patient populations. And I think that's why even now more than ever, like we're getting a lot of referrals and they're still coming in and we're still seeing more and more patients every day and trying our best to help them out so they can have um, better days. Thanks for that, Dr. Chaudhry. Now, we want to go back to your first days in high school or university when you decided you wanted to become a doctor to today where you're working within the cannabis industry. Can you let our listeners know one major accomplishment you've had that you've achieved 
and that you're proud of? Um, honestly, <laughs> I'm just achieved to getting to the point where I am. Like it's, um, you know, it's a lot of hard work, dedication. Um, you know, it wasn't a, it wasn't a, it wasn't a, it wasn't a smooth road. And honestly, I just want to thank my family for the support more than anything. I have a very supportive family, and I think without them, I wouldn't be in this place where I am now. Not only um, to be where I am, but to help other people out. And I think uh, more than anything, I think that means the most to me that I had the support of my family and. They've done everything and anything for me to, to help me succeed in life. And I words can't even describe uh, how I feel about that. Wonderful, Dr. Chadri. So uh, if there's one message that you could give to patients or that are listening to our podcast right now that are interested and curious about cannabis, what would it be? I think the most important uh, question to ask is to ask yourself, um, is medical cannabis right for me and can it help me out? I think once you ask yourself that question, um, you can go to your physician and you can find out more about it, and then you can figure uh, find out whether this is for you or not. And I think um, asking yourself that question opens the dialogue um, to pretty much exploring whether this can be a viable option for you. Now, Dr. Chaudhry, we'd like to ask all of our guests, is there a piece of technology, a book, or a past experience that has helped shape who you are today? You know what? I don't, I'm not thinking uh, more of like a specific technology or book, but I think in terms of past experiences, I think we're all kind of a little bit of a product of our environment. So I think just my past experiences when it comes to, to families, uh, various teachers, uh, mentors, other physicians that kind of helped me kind of progress not only in my life, but career as well. And that's kind of what I think about. And I think uh, I'll thank those people who kind of, kind of helped guide me to, to where I am today. We want to give a huge thank you to Dr. Chaudhry, Medical Director of Canadian Cannabis Clinics, for joining The Shake, presented by Treehouse Solution. Please check out their website, www.cannabisclinics.ca, and follow on Instagram at Canadian Cannabis Clinics, Twitter at Cannabis Clinics, and YouTube Canadian Cannabis Clinics to stay up to date with their latest information. We also want to thank our loyal Shake listeners for spending the last 45 minutes with us. You can join the discussion or drop us a line at www.treehousesolution.com and on Instagram at treehousesolution, Twitter at THS underscore audio, and Facebook. Be sure to look out for our next episode when we chat with another industry leading rep. We hope you enjoyed the session and stay tuned for our next podcast. All content of The Shake is created, produced, and edited by Jai Morzaria and Mando Dillon. Please subscribe and like us on anywhere that you listen to your podcast. We're eager to hear your thoughts on who you think should be our next guest. Please drop us a line at THS underscore audio or on our Twitter account at Treehouse Solution and let us know who you'd like to hear most from next.